1: Uh, Ephesians chapter four verse eleven. We're reading from. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this. Are we? Are we? Has the screen messed up? Did Wayne mess up something? Did he mess up something? You know, you brag on him and then you realize how how he blew it somewhere. So, it's off there. So we'll get it fixed. Now these are the gifts. Ephesians chapter four verse eleven. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets... Turn me down just a hair, my friend. The evangelists and the pastors and teachers. So notice their gifts. Gifts given to who? The church. What are they? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. What are they for? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So really, the, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, their job is to equip the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what the job of these ministry gifts are. Here in the South, we think the job of the pastor is to do the ministry for us. We come, we sit, we give our tithes and offerings, and we pay the pastor to go pray for people. That's not the biblical job of the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet. The job of these individuals is to equip the body of Christ to go out and do the hands and feet, be the hands and feet of Jesus. I can only be at one hospital room at one place at one time. Just think if we sent, like we had this past Sunday, almost 800 people here on a summer Sunday. Just think. If we had 800 people going out into this community every day being the hands and feet of Jesus, how many more people we could reach with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ than a few, just a few pastors or paid staff members. So their job is to equip God's people to do whose work? His work. And build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue... How long will it continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ? There are some people who say, well, the apostles, we don't need apostles today. We don't need prophets today. Some churches teach that. But that's not what the Word says. The Bible says these offices, these ministry gifts will continue. Continue how long? Until we all come to a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son and be mature. How many of you know some immature Christians? Raise your hand. How many of you are immature Christian? Raise your other hand. All right? So that lets us know that we still need these ministry offices. The time of their passing has not yet come. All right? Verse 14. Then, then we will no longer be immature like children. Now listen to what he's saying. He's saying without these ministry gifts doing their assignment in the body of Christ and building up the body of Christ, we will remain forever immature, spiritually immature. Because when they are doing their job and get the body where they need to be, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies, so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. And I'm going to tell you something, saints. In this culture in which we live, we need mature believers who think correctly and will speak the truth in love. We're living in a culture now that it's politically incorrect to stand for the things that the Bible teaches us that we must stand for and we must be able to articulate and speak what we believe in love. Speak the truth in love. When I read where the Methodist church is is split 50-50 on whether to ordain gay and lesbian uh, ministers... I'm thinking, my goodness, look how far we've come. The Methodist Church, who's one of their great founders was John Wesley, who taught holiness and righteousness and truth. And now, look, they are split 50-50. In fact, they took it off the table for the vote because they were scared they were going to go as the way of the Lutherans and the Episcopalians. So understand, we're living in a day now where people must speak the truth in love. And we get to that point by having proper ministry gifts in the body of Christ teaching us and training us. So on Wednesday nights, we started teaching on the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians. But I've said over the last several weeks, but we got sidetracked. And I realized this week that I've been telling a... Uh, something that's not true. You didn't get sidetracked. I got sidetracked because I'm the one teaching it. I got sidetracked and uh, ended up teaching on the ministry gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, teacher. The ministry gifts are offices. They're gifts that Christ has given to the church. In other words, Christ sets certain people into these offices to bring blessing to the church. To faithfully qualify for one of these offices, a person must be specifically called by God to one of these offices. Although physical and personality giftings are important, they alone do not qualify a person for a ministry office. It all begins with a call from God. I've had Laymen, wonderful laymen who love Jesus, who will sit in judgment and say, Well, I, I, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. Well, you know, I know how to balance my checkbook, but I'm not an accountant. All right? You know, uh, there, there's a lot of things that you'll see ministers doing that you could probably do better. But the truth of the matter is, you will be, will be leaning upon a physical gifting instead of a supernatural anointing. And that's the devil is not scared of men's talents. He is scared of the giftings of God and the anointing of of God upon people's lives. So what are we talking about? We talked about the first one. Let's just review for a second. The apostles. The apostles. Now, let me stop right here. And I want to throw in a scripture. Jamie, if you could look up Revelation chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verses 1 and 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in the... Uh, New King James, thank you. Here's... I want to listen to this verse. This is the reason why you and I need to understand about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. This is, this is the apostle John, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he is writing the book of Revelation. And uh, he writes to seven churches, the seven churches... And one of them is the church of Ephesus. And listen to what he says to this church. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 and 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil... And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Listen to what the Holy Spirit through John says. Now, if this happened two thousand years ago, how much more do you know that there it's happening today? If there are true apostles, then there are false apostles. All right? And people today are being sidetracked. by false apostles and false prophets. They're being sidetracked by that. I, I was, it was interesting last night, I was watching an advertisement about psychics last night. It just popped up on my... and it caught my, <laughs> caught my attention and how people are just being so swept away by the psychics. The psychics. And Christians now are... are I'll have Christians say... They'll come up to me, good people, love Jesus, and they'll say to me, what's your sign? What's your sign? I said, well, I don't know how to sign, you know, I, you know, and and they'll say, no, or you are, are you a Capricorn? Are you or what? Well, that's the only one they tell me that's what I am. But what's the others? I don't even know the other. Oh, that's what you are. You know about that, huh? Gemini. What's your sign? Pisces. What does that mean? See that? You know about them? Fishing. Oh, yeah. I should have known. I should have known. But it's, it's really remarkable that Christians, good people, are looking for some kind of word for the future and they're turning to familiar spirits and ungodly ways when the whole time you've got the Creator of the future living on the inside of you. You see? But listen to what he says. Paul says to the, I mean, John says to the church at Ephesus, one thing God loves about you is that you have a discerning spirit about you and you're mature enough to know a true apostle and a false apostle. And just like a true apostle can bring blessing to your life, a true pastor can bring blessing, a false pastor can bring uh, trouble to your life. He'll lead you in the wrong direction, and the same with a false apostle. But the word apostle has a much wider meaning than is generally understood. The word apostle comes from apostolos, which means one sent forth, a messenger. This is an individual who God has specifically sent on a special mission. An apostle is one sent forth on a special mission. Romans chapter 11. Look at Romans chapter 11 verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles. Paul is talking here. He says, in so much as I am an apostle, I am sent to the Gentiles. He later goes on and says that Peter was sent to the Jews, but uh, was an apostle to the Jews, but Paul was sent to the Gentiles. He was sent to the Gentiles. And if you go through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you will see that most of Paul's ministry... A vast majority of Paul's ministry is to people who are Gentiles, not to Jews. Why? Because that's where his anointing was. He was sent to them. Now, could he minister to Jews? Could he preach to them? Of course he could. But he understood, this is my purpose in life. I am to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And as I said last week, one of the most fulfilling things is to fulfill your purpose in life. Why are you here? Why are you on this earth? Why are you in this city? What's your purpose for living? And once you realize what that is and are be obedient to that, what a wonderful, fulfilling thing that could be. And Paul said, my purpose, my calling, what I'm ordained to do is to go to the Gentiles. Now... Let's talk also about the prophets. We're not going to stay on this long. I've been staying too long on these things and haven't been getting it done. Let's go to the prophets. A prophet speaks by direct divine inspiration and immediate revelation. Not something thought up of his own intellect or by watching Fox News. All right, That's not where he gets his inspiration. But something given by divine inspiration. Let's go back. Here's a verse we've talked about. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Let's look over to Acts chapter 21 verse 8. Acts chapter 21 verse 8. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist. What does it say Philip was? An evangelist. We're going to talk about him in just a second. Who was one of the seven. One of the seven, seven what? Seven deacons. He started out as a deacon. He was faithful as a deacon, and God anointed him and selected him to be in the office, the ministry office of an evangelist. And they stayed with him. Now, this man had four, Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet, so he had daughters that prophesied, but then a man who was a prophet named Agabus, came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Now, when they heard these things, both we and those that of that place pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we cease saying, The will of the Lord be done. Now notice what I shared with you the other week. is Notice that Philip had four daughters who prophesied, but they were not called prophetesses. You can prophesy, you can have the simple gift of prophecy, which according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 says, He that prophesies uh, speaketh unto men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. You can have the simple gift of prophecy operating through you, but not be a prophet. Notice he had four daughters who prophesied. They spoke to people, exhortation, comfort, they inspired people, But then there was Agabus who came who was a prophet, and prophets see into the future. In fact, the Old Testament says that prophets were called seers. They were seers. They see into the future. Also notice something about Agabus. Agabus only confirmed what was in Paul's heart. He didn't give Paul direction. He only confirmed. He said, this is what's going to happen to this man. He didn't tell Paul, you need to go do this. You need to go do this. Listen, the, the, you do not need to run to a prophet, even to a true prophet, and ask them what God's plan is for your life. People... People all the time, and people still do it, and I'm thinking, man, when, when are people going to learn? They'll come up to me and say, oh, man, a prophet spoke over me and told me I was going to do this, do that, and do that. Listen, if, 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 pro- if a prophet is giving you new news, hmm. if he's giving you new news, something that you don't already have in your heart, you need to be very careful. Amen. Amen. You need to be very careful. There's nothing wrong with a prophet confirming That's what Agabus was doing. He wasn't telling Paul, now Paul, you need to go do this. He just said, this man, whoever has this belt, this is what's going to happen to him. And Paul already knew it. He knew he was going to suffer for Christ. That's when they tried to talk Paul out of it. he said, why are you trying to talk me out of the will of God for my life? I know this is what God wants me to do. I know this is the life I must live. So understand, the prophecy of Agabus only confirmed what was in Paul's heart. It didn't give him direction. Now let me give you some explanation here. Under the Old Covenant, the general laity, the people, did not have the Spirit of God inside of them to lead them under the Old Covenant. At times the Spirit of God would come upon the prophet, the priest, and the king, and other selected individuals whom God needed to bring wisdom, deliverance, or direction to the children of Israel. But the general laity didn't have the Spirit of God upon them are in them. All right? Yet under the new covenant where we live today, we read these verses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. This is why it's a better covenant established on better promises. Look at 1 Corinthians 6:19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? How many of you are believers tonight in Jesus Christ? Did you know the the Holy Spirit lives in you? People say, I just wished when Elijah, I wished I lived when Elijah, I wished I lived with Moses, I wished I lived when David. I don't. The the regular people did not have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. Today we have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. At times under the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people to help them to accomplish God's will for the nation, but they didn't have the guide on the inside. That's why they went to a prophet and said, What do we need to do? What do we need to do? That's why today you and I don't have to run to a prophet to say, What's God's will for our life? Because you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you right now. Here's another verse. John chapter 14, verse 17. John chapter 14, verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. This is talking about the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later this Holy Spirit will be in you. He lives in you. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. I love this one. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. That's a good sentence right there. There's been days in my life that I've had to confess that by faith because it sure didn't feel like it in reality. There have been times that I've had my feelings hurt and I wanted to pout and I felt like I was controlled by my sinful nature. There have been times people have done me wrong and hurt me, or hurt especially this one I struggle with, when they hurt your children, and I wanted to hurt them back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I wanted to be controlled by my sinful nature. There have been times that people have said things to me that were very piercing, and I I wanted to say something to cut them back. How many of you know... When you get up here and do this as many years as I've done it, you learn, you got a real pretty, you learn to bring out your big knife at times to cut big meat, all right? And there's times I knew I could cut them, I could cut you to pieces. And I wanted to be controlled by my sinful nature. So some days you have to put that under. You still might want to, but you don't have to be controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have what? The Spirit of God living in you. So see, the Holy Spirit lives in you. We have what the people in the Old Testament did not have. We've got Him on the inside of us. Here's another one. I love this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 16. Notice what this one says. And what union care can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I, listen to what God says. I will live in them. I will live in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So God lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And then last week I shared this with you real briefly. But the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Spirit has a vital role in our ability to obtain divine healing. The Holy Spirit, I remember, was it Benny Hinn who wrote that book, Good Morning Holy Spirit? Good Morning, several years ago. And people criticize that, preachers criticize that. What he was simply trying to do was to get people to come to a realization that the Holy Spirit is with you if you're a believer in Christ Jesus and to recognize him. I like to say it this way we need to learn to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. Learn to practice the presence of the Holy Spirit. He is God in the third person. He is God on earth today. Do you realize God the Father is in heaven? Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. The Holy Spirit is Jesus on earth today. Have you lately just said as you driving down the car, Holy Spirit, just take over my day? Holy Spirit, I welcome you today. You see, and once you realize that He lives on the inside of you. He is a major part of your life that will help you to understand the role in he- of healing. Look what it says in Romans chapter eight, verse 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life. He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Your mortal body. He will give life to your mortal body. What's your mortal body? That's your body. It's what you're living in right now. It's your, the Bible says the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of Bob can be activated and it will bring life to Bob's mortal body. And a lot of times when I'm battling sickness and disease, this is how I pray. When sickness and disease tries to come upon me, this is how I pray. Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of me, I call upon you now to begin to come alive and to fight off the sickness and disease that's working against me right now. If the same Spirit that lives, that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, and it does dwell in me, it will make alive my mortal body. I was teaching this down in Chile several years ago and the missionary's wife started screaming, I've never seen that before, I've never seen that before. She said, I thought that was talking about when it makes alive your immortal body. Now I said it doesn't say nothing about heaven. It doesn't say nothing about the resurrection. It's talking about your mortal body while you're here on earth right now. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. It had enough power to conquer the spirit of death that had already grabbed Jesus Christ and had taken him. That spirit of the living God had enough life in it that it reversed the curse of death and brought healing and wholeness to Jesus Christ. And that spirit lives on the inside of you it lives on the inside of me and once we get a revelation of that it will help us to obtain access divine healing here's some things you you and i need to re- realize about the holy spirit the holy spirit that the old testament people did not have that we have the holy spirit guides us today guides us today i thank god for prophets but i'm not searching the internet or facebook looking for a prophet to give me a word because I've got the Holy Spirit guiding me today. Listen to what it says. Look at John chapter 16 verse 13. John chapter 16 verse 13. When the Spirit of truth is come, He will do what? He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He Now notice this. He will tell you about the future. He will tell you about the future. I buried. Uh, I helped officiate the service of one of my dear friends uh, yesterday, and um, um, and um, uh, that was he died last Friday morning. But Tuesday night, uh, I had a dream, and I knew it was a God dream, and it was him and Jesus talking I saw him I was standing there and him and Jesus were talking and I could tell my friend was very troubled and, uh, and uh, I, I, this conversation went on for some time I couldn't hear uh, what the conversation was about but I knew that my friend was troubled about something in his life I don't know what he was troubled about but I knew he was troubled about uh-huh. something in his life And then all of a sudden, it was like my ears were open and I heard their conversation and the Lord Jesus said to him, It's okay. You are forgiven. Now come on home. And he laid down and I saw him die. Now his whole family and friends in the community had been praying for him his healing. He believed in healing. And he had had been used of God to see people healed. He had seen hundreds of people he came from the Baptist background and he got filled with the Holy Ghost during the charismatic renewal. And he brought a, he went to First Baptist Church and his Sunday school class became the large, larger than the church because all these Baptists were getting filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues. And he later came over to our church and became one of our board of directors and just, just a, a, a dear friend. So everybody was praying for him to be healed. So when that occurred on Tuesday, I knew he was going to die. And I did not tell. I wasn't going to tell his wife. I wasn't because I didn't, want to, I didn't want to interfere with her faith. So I just kept quiet. I told Amanda when I woke up, I said, I had a dream last night. And I called him by name. I said, he's going to die. She said, did the Lord show, show you? And I told her my dream. And I said, yeah, he's going to die. It's not going to be long now, it's just days. Sure enough, that was Tuesday night. Friday morning, he died. Well, yesterday or Monday, uh, Monday, she... Uh, text me and said, Pastor Eddie, I need to tell you something. said, Paul was really struggling toward the end with some things. And I was able to tell her then, I know. And I showed her. I told her what the Lord showed me. He was struggling. But the Lord said to him, it's all okay. You're forgiven. Come on home. And he laid down. And it brought real peace to her, comfort to her. Yesterday yesterday when she came into the, the funeral, she had hands up, worshiping the Lord. Because she had peace about it. See, He will show you the future. That's why you don't need to run to a prophet and say, Give me a word. Give me a word. Give me a word. He will show you things to come. Now, a prophet may give you a word, but it should only confirm what the Holy Spirit's already showed on the inside. Don't look for a prophet to give you direction. Look for a prophet to give you confirmation. Okay? Everybody hear what I'm saying? Don't look for a prophet to give you direction. The prophet gives direction. If you look in the Old Testament, the prophet gives direction mostly to people who are walking in disobedience. So if if you go to a prophet and they give you direction, that's the first you've heard about it. It might be you've been so rebellious, God couldn't get through to you. Okay? So a prophet... Don't look for direction from a prophet. Look for confirmation. So a prophet does that, but you've got the Holy Spirit who will show you the future. I wish I had time to tell you the dozens and dozens of times where the Holy Spirit has showed me the future, it's showed me things to come. Look at John fourteen twenty six. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. Here's something else. A prophet is one who has visions and revelations. We talked about that. Let's talk about how can you tell a true prophet from a false prophet. Because there's some false prophets today, just like there's false apostles. You see, many of them are late night television. False prophets. You call in and everybody who calls in will get a special word from God. Listen, I don't have to call in. I open my Bible and I've got a special word from God. What are the characteristics of true prophets? Number one, true prophets will demonstrate humility. Any of these ministry gifts understand the first characteristic for all of them should be humility. It's not this smart-aleck, cocky... It's humility. Remember, the, remember, remember a base scripture? God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the who? Humble. That's true of the ministry gifts also. A true prophet will demonstrate humility. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 37. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that I am writing to you is the Lord's command. In other words, submit to somebody. I'm a prophet, I don't have to listen to anybody. That's not humility. True prophets, number two, allows their prophecies to be judged. True prophets allow their prophecies to be judged. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says this, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, But test everything that is said. Hold on to that which is good. I've had, I've had well-meaning, good people say to me, they'll tell me something, some prophet, some supposedly prophet, and I'd say, that, that's not even scripture. That's a, well, you shouldn't question the prophet. Don't question the prophet. That's what they said about Jim Jones. Don't question the prophet. The Bible says, "Hold, test everything. That's not doubt, that's just wisdom, that's maturity. Hold fast that which is good. Brother Hagin said it this way, eat the hay, spit out the sticks. Amen. Eat the hay, spit out the sticks. Number 3, the ministry of the prophet is to exhort and confirm the local church. The church. Acts 15:32, then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. True prophets are not running a money enterprise. Their job is to strengthen the local church. Number four, true prophets will have a more consistent manifestation of foreseeing events. True prophets will have a more consistent manifestation of seeing into the future. They'll see into the future more often than others. Look at Acts eleven twenty-seven. 27. Acts chapter 11, 27. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. Who did? Prophets. Prophets traveled from Jerusalem down out. One of them, here he is again, Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. This they did entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take them to the elders of the church in Jerusalem." So we have apostles, we have prophets. Now let's, let's, uh, I've got five minutes. Let's look at evangelist. The evangelist, the evangelist is the one who brings the evangel. The good news. The word evangel" means good news. The evangelist brings the good news. He's a messenger of good tidings. The evangelist's favorite theme is salvation in its simplest form. And a true evangelist preaches salvation. He gets people saved. That's his job, to get people saved. Let's look at Acts chapter 21, verse 8. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven who had been chosen to distribute food. Now he's called, he's in the New Testament, Philip is called an evangelist. So let's see his ministry in operation. Look back to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5. Remember, Philip's the evangelist. Notice what Acts 8, 5 says. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached what? Christ. He didn't preach tithing. He didn't preach on heaven. He didn't preach on hell. He didn't preach on getting your body disciplined. He preached Christ. That's what an evangelist will do. They will preach Christ. Now, they might start in some other areas, but they'll always come back to preaching Jesus because that's their message. That's that's what they do. Philip preached Christ. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went and behold a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot he was reading the Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, remember Philip's an evangelist. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. Verse 34, So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I asked you, Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Was he saying this about himself or of some other man? Now remember, Philip's an evangelist. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at that scripture, preached what? Jesus. See, he's an evangelist. That's what he preaches. That's his message. Now this guy was the treasurer. Notice Philip didn't talk to him about the blessed life from Robert Morris. He didn't talk to him about tithing. That's that's this guy's expertise. That's not the evangelist's call. Their call is to preach Christ. Now let me show you something very important. If you want to read about Philip's ministry, you just read Acts chapter 8. Go back to Acts chapter 8 verse 5 again. Acts chapter 8 verse number 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Oh, I love that. And the multitudes with one accord... He did the things spoken by Philip. Notice they they listened to the things spoken by Philip. Now notice this. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in the city. Now look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. Both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now notice, notice the transgression here. Look at verse number 6 again. And the multitudes with one accord... He did the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Notice, many were paralyzed and lame were healed. But then notice verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. Listen. Even though there were miracles taking place, nobody got saved until they believed the preaching. Okay? People say to me all the time, well, we we just want to do worship. That's all we want to do. We want to do worship. We want to pray for the sick. This preaching, don't spend as much time preaching. Listen, nobody gets saved until somebody preaches. Nobody gets saved. These people were getting healed. These people were getting delivered. But it didn't say they got saved until they believed the preaching. And that's what an evangelist will do. Now, one of the things you'll see in an, a true evangelist ministry is that there will be a manifestation of healings and deliverances. Just like this. But let me show you. Here's, here's an interesting... Uh, something that's very interesting. Look at uh, verse 7. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Now, notice this next phrase. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Have you ever noticed that... There wasn't no blind healed. It doesn't say anything about anybody blind being healed. It doesn't say anything about anybody deaf being healed, does it? Notice it says, those paralyzed and lame were healed. So what does that mean, Pastor? It means this. Remember over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? It talks about the gifts, the gifts of healing. The gifts of healing. It's the only one. you got the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits. you got special faith. you got working of miracles. And then you got gifts. It's the only one that's plural. Gifts of healing. Simply, what it means is this. Not anyone is anointed with a special anointing to heal every disease. If they were, they'd be like Jesus Christ. Have the Spirit without measure. For some reason, Philip could get people who had problems in their extremities healed. Couldn't get the deaf healed. Didn't say anything about the deaf. Didn't say anything about the blind. It was talked paralyzed and lame were healed. Donald G. Donald G. Was a great Pentecostal pioneer from England, Great Britain. And he had great miracle crusades. And people would come to him and say, listen, uh, I've got cancer. Would you pray for me? He says, no, I I don't have the anointing to minister healing to cancer. You go get my... You let my wife pray for for you. She has an anointing to minister for people who have cancer. He says, my anointing is to get people filled with the Holy Ghost. And just about everybody he laid hands on got filled with the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues. But he understood where his anointing was. Okay, he understood that. Okay. So that's just a little...